Well, we're going to start to dive into God's Word now. So if you've got your Bibles nearby, I encourage you to have them ready and open. Um, and we're just going to, yeah, cut to, um, we've got Kathy Wise, who's going to bring us the Bible reading this morning. Good morning, Lakes. Uh, my name's Kathy. I've been coming to church with my husband, David, and daughter, Caitlin, for nearly a year. Uh, we're really looking forward to church coming back uh, in person. Today I'm reading from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 28, verses 3 through to 20, starting at verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Paul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What does he look like, he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me? Now the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbours, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and night. Well, good day, everyone. Uh, lovely to join together uh, to look at God's Word. Uh, and I hope you get out to enjoy the beautiful sunshine today. Uh, go for a walk. Ruth and I love bushwalking. Uh, and, and so whenever, wherever we go, we try to explore uh, bush tracks. Uh, but one of the things about going bushwalking with Ruth is that she insists on stopping 
and taking photos along the way. Uh, and if you go into Ruth's office, you'll find that there's a whole lot of bush tracks, uh, photos of bush tracks on the wall of her office. Uh, and I think the idea is that she, uh, she thinks about like a track with its turns and twists uh, as a good picture of life and the journey of life. Uh, and sometimes we can't even see exactly the end point uh, as we head into sometimes the unknown. Uh, and the thing about bush tracks is that every now and then you come to a fork in the road uh, where the track sort of heads off in two directions and you've got to make a choice. And life is full of those sort of choices. Now, some of them don't feel all that important. Some of them feel incredibly important, like who do I marry? That's assuming you have a choice. Uh, who do I marry? What job do I do? Where do I live? Do I rent or buy? Uh, and even COVID has thrown up a whole bunch of choices for us, hasn't it? Do I get vaccinated or not is one of the big ones at the moment. There are so many choices in life that feel so big and so important, but today God sets before us the most important choice of all. Today, God sets before us two paths, and one path will lead to life, joy, peace. The other path will lead to despair, shame, and destruction. And God will call us to choose today which path we will follow. And it feels like a no-brainer, doesn't it? You feel like, well, of course, I'd choose the path to life, and yet, one of the tragedies of our world is that most people choose the path to death and destruction. My prayer for each one of us as we listen, as we hear God's word this morning, is that he softens our hearts. Make sure you've got uh, the Bible there open uh, so you can be looking and reflecting on it for yourself. And my prayer is that God will convict you not only of which path to take, but that he will strengthen you to, to walk down that path, to choose the path to life and joy and peace forever. In the final chapters of 1 Samuel, we find both David and Saul in deep distress, uh, feeling abandoned, God forsaken even. But in their distress, they choose very different paths. So in 1 Samuel 28, you have Saul, the Philistine armies are gathering. This is all happening kind of up north Israel. The Philistine army is, is this looming threat up north. Verse 4, this is 1 Samuel 28 verse 4, the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. And we've seen this again and again with Saul. Saul has been for so long a victim of his own fears. His fears overwhelmed him, consumed him, and directed his path. So notice verse 6. Saul inquired of the Lord... But the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Now, there's a long background to that verse uh, that we've kind of been following through this book of 1 Samuel. And that is, 
Saul had killed almost every one of the priests. With the help of Doeg, there was that terrible massacre of the priests. And only one priest had escaped, Abiathar. He had gone to join David. And so where are the priests who, can, who Samuel can go to to inquire of the Lord? Saul had the law. But again and again, when the crunch came, Saul chose to disobey God's law and go his own way. Uh, And Saul had Samuel the prophet. He knew he was a prophet from God. And there was Samuel bringing Saul the word of God. But again, time and time again, Saul chose to disobey the word of the prophet Samuel. Uh, And so the last word Samuel had spoken was a prophecy against the house of Saul. Back in chapter 15, I'll throw it on the screen for you. God through Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and he has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. Saul was the king, but God had announced, no, there's a transition that is taking place right now. And now Samuel is dead. Saul feels alone, in despair, God forsaken. Uh, The God he has rejected remains silent when Saul calls out. So what does Saul do in the midst of this crisis? He disguises himself and heads on a risky journey further north. Um, So Saul was in the middle of Israel. The Philistine army was to the north, but a town called Endor was further north even still. And so Saul disguises himself, heads on this risky journey past the Philistine armies to the witch who lived at Endor. And Saul said to her, verse 8, consult a spirit for me and bring up for me from the dead the one I name. Now Saul is completely aware this, this course of action is abhorrent to God. In the law of God, God commands his people again and again to have nothing to do with the dark arts, with witches and sorcerers and and ghosts. So let me show you one passage, Deuteronomy 18, in the law that had been written 500 years before Saul. God says, Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, Cast spells, or who is a medium, a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. Saul knew the command. In fact, During the days of Samuel, when Samuel was alive, Saul had driven out most of the witches from the land of Israel. But now in desperation, he seeks answers from the witch of Endor. He asks her to bring up the ghost of Samuel from the dead. And a ghostly figure indeed appears. And yes, it is Samuel. Saul 
pours out to Samuel his fears, his distress. And in reply, there is no new word from God. Samuel merely repeats the prophecy already made against Saul and his house. But only now, Samuel gives a time frame, a terrifying time frame. Verse 19, the Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. That is, you and your sons will be amongst the dead tomorrow. As I read this chapter with others, and I'm sure you've had that same experience this week in your growth groups, uh, one of the questions that comes up is this, what's the deal with this witch of Endor? Is, is she a fake? Are we meant to think of witches and astrologers and all that sort of stuff as con men, con women? Uh, or is there real supernatural power going on? Uh, does this witch of Endor really raise Samuel or his ghost from the grave? Now, we just don't know all the answers to those questions. Um, so supernatural, there's certainly supernatural power at work in this chapter, isn't there? Uh, but is it the power of the witch? Is it the power of God? Or some combination of both. Certainly the power of God is, is on display. But what are, we, what are we to make of this witch? Now God doesn't, uh, God, the reason God condemns the dark arts and witchcraft and sorcery is not because there is no supernatural reality behind it, but because it is completely untrustworthy. You cannot rely on a word from a witch, a sorcerer, or someone who dabbles in the dark arts. See, and why would you? Why would you consult a witch or a ghost or a demon when you have the precious words of God already? The God who made you, the God who loves you, uh, the God who speaks a word of peace and hope, who allays our fears, who brings us grace and forgiveness and hope, why would you reject the word of God and chase after a word from these people who are completely untrustworthy? Um, so where does, where does Saul's journey end? He turns to the witch. He, he hears the word from Samuel raised from the dead in some way. Verse 20, immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's word. His strength was gone. See what's going on? Saul went to the witch because he was afraid. But in the end, this supernatural experience leaves him more afraid. It leaves him paralyzed and terrified in his fear. And that is where the dark arts will take you every time. Even in our world today, there are many people, many communities who are heavily influenced by the dark arts. But what happens is 
They become slaves to fear, slaves to superstition. It leads to a miserable life, just as Saul found. And so Saul's final destination is captured in the final chapter of this book, in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Just as God had said, the Philistines overwhelmed the armies of Israel. Saul's three sons are all killed. And so Saul is left alone with his armor bearer. In despair, he takes his own life. He falls on his own own sword. A tragic man who lived and died a prisoner. To his own fears. Now, where did Saul go so badly wrong? You know, there was a time when he looked like such a good candidate for king. But each time Saul came to that fork in the road, he chose to follow the opinions of others. He chose to follow his own desires. He chose to be led by his own fears rather than choosing to trust, obey, cry out to God, depend on him. Now, brothers and sisters, every day we are faced with choices. And every day we have that decision we need to make. Will I go with my gut feel? Will I follow my desires? Will I merely listen to the opinions of others? Uh, Will I act merely according to my fears or will I listen to God humbly and will I trust him, my heavenly father, and will I obey him and walk down the the path of obedience and trust in God? I want to encourage, plead with each of you to ask God to give you a soft heart to his word day by day so that it is God who directs your path. Now, at the same time Saul was taking his tragic journey north, David takes a very different journey south. So in these final chapters of 1 Samuel, David and his men and their families had established themselves in the town of Ziklag, which is kind of on the border, it's a bit in the wilderness, but it's kind of on the border between the Philistine territory uh, and Israel. And in fact, David and his men had been marching with the Philistines. It's, it's a strange twist, but that's what was going on. Um, but the Philistines send David home to Ziklag. And there, as David returns to to the town of Ziklag, he finds the town is destroyed, burnt to the ground, his possessions were lost, the wives and children of David and all his men were gone. And, and they're thinking, have they been destroyed? Have they been taken captive? And so verse 4, David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking about stoning him. 
Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. What a, what a devastating moment for David. And I wonder whether, I wonder whether at this time David wrote the Psalm 22. So Psalm 22 is a psalm of David and it begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, and it could well have been that David at this point was trapped and lost in despair and feeling God forsaken. But look at what we're told in, at the end of verse 6. David found strength in the Lord his God. And so many of the Psalms capture that so beautifully, where David pours out his heart to God and as he works through what he knows about God, what he knows about God's word, he comes to a place of assurance and peace and his fears are allayed. Uh, this is the contrast between David's life and Saul's life. See, one thing I've noticed as we've looked through the book of 1 Samuel is Saul constantly refers to God as the Lord, your God. He doesn't kind of personally own relationship with God, whereas God is David's God. You know, so David found strength, verse 6, in the Lord, his God. There is this personal relationship between David and God. And that, that relationship is so beautifully fleshed out in the Psalms that David wrote during this time. So I've got a few Psalms just to remind you of. Psalm 56, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you in God whose word I praise. In God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? He wrote that Psalm around this time. What's it, what he's doing is he's trusting God and giving his fears over to God and delighting in God's word. Psalm 18, uh, when David was on the run from Saul, he said, as for God, his way, his path is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Can you see that same pattern? In the midst of adversity, trusting God and delighting in God's word. Psalm 62, yes, my soul. See what David's doing? He's, he's speaking to himself, reminding himself, yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken my salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. See, what a contrast between David and Saul. Saul disobeyed the word of God. David delighted in the word of God. Saul was consumed by fear Driven by fear, David casts his fears on God. Saul is left fearful, full of shame and despair. David receives comfort and peace and joy from God. 
And so at this point in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David seeks a new word from God uh, and, and from the one remaining priest. So it's verse 7. And God says, you will certainly overtake and succeed. And so David and his men set out on a journey south. 200 of the men pull out halfway from exhaustion. But David and most of his men press on. Uh, They're seeking these enemy Amalekites who have raided the town of Ziklag. They're seeking perhaps to find their wives and children. And so they press on and they come across an Egyptian slave who had been with the Amalekites. And he leads them to where the Amalekites are. Uh, And pick it up from verse 16. We'll go to our second Bible reading. Hi, Church. How are you doing? Uh, It's great to be part of this service. My name's Isaac. I'm from Church of Five. Today's reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to be reading from verse 16 to verse 26. Okay. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away, except 400 men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David bought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at Bessabali. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers amongst David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David made this statue an ordinance for Israel from that day to this. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, Here is a gift for for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. So those 200 men who were too exhausted to continue the journey. And whilst there was a temptation, you know, of all the other men to say, no, they don't deserve anything. There's the grace of David to say, no, they share in the plunder. Uh, and even his friends, uh, the other men of Judah, uh, receive the blessings of David's victory. Now, for us, the life of David foreshadows the life of our great hero, saviour and king, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is David's great, 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 I don't know how many great, but great, great, great grandson. Uh, And what you see with Jesus is the pattern that David set is followed by Jesus only far more uh, extraordinarily. So when tempted by Satan... Jesus draws strength from God. Remember how he, in the wilderness, he, he recounts the word of God and he puts his trust 
in God's word. He doesn't take the easy path that Satan is offering him. And David is strengthened by God's word and God's Holy Spirit. When he is weary so often through his ministry, what does Jesus do? He withdraws from the crowds to pray and draw strength from God. Even on that night before he died, he withdrew to the Garden of Gethsemane and he cried out, poured out his heart to God, my God, uh, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And that was a time when all those around Jesus who you would have expected to strengthen him, uh, they were all fallen asleep. But Jesus draws strength from God. And so when Jesus is hanging on the cross and when he utters those chilling words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he is speaking words that David had uttered a thousand years earlier. And we know that whilst Jesus was in, in desperate, desperate despair, he was turning to God to be strengthened by God, even as he prayed those words. And then Jesus, his final words will be, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And where does Jesus' journey end? It ends in victory, in life from the dead, uh, in Jesus now being King of kings and Lord of lords. And it, and it ends in the beautiful pattern of Jesus sharing the plunder with those who don't deserve it, with people like us, people like us who couldn't go the journey with Jesus. He went the journey alone, but we received the spoils of his victory. Uh, in February each year, the men and kids of our church head up to Tali for a weekend away. Uh, and every year it has become a pattern that I lead a bunch of men and sometimes kids if they're brave enough. I lead them up the mountain uh, to, you know, on, a, on a hiking trek. Uh, and so there we are, a few pictures of us celebrating the victory uh, at the top. But on the way, on the way up the mountain, sometimes the track splits in two. And you've got to decide which path will I take. And you can see the men with me there, they're tempted to take the wide path. Uh, you know, it just felt obvious to them um, because it looks easier, it looks like a path more trodden. Uh, well, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, our Saviour and King, he says, before us there are two paths. Uh, and the two paths are sort of uh, entered by two gates. One's a big path with a big gate. It kind of looks like the obvious path to take. But then there's a narrow path with a little small gate and Jesus warns us, most people choose the big gate and the big path, but that road leads to destruction. Jesus pleaded with us, choose the small gate and the narrow path. Now, what does it mean to choose the small gate and the narrow path? Well, Jesus said, it's the one who chooses to hear my word 
and put them into practice. Right? That is the narrow path, trusting Jesus. Like David delighted in the word of God, we delight in the words of our saviour, Jesus. And so we humbly listen to his word. We constantly remind ourselves of his precious promises. We constantly remind ourselves of his grace and forgiveness that qualifies us to be children of God. We constantly cast our cares on him and receive his beautiful words of reassurance. Never will I leave you, Jesus says. Never will I forsake you. And so we choose to obey Jesus day by day. Even when we feel the pull of temptation to take the easy way, to take the wide road, uh, we actually want to choose to listen, trust and obey Jesus because that is the pathway to life. Uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, you are a God full of grace, so generous. You know what is best and you want what is best for us. Father, we confess today that so often we choose our own path. So often we choose the path of self-centeredness, disobedience. We're far too quick to listen to our own desires. We're far too quick to listen to the opinions of others. And we're so slow to listen and trust and obey your words. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus, that he walked the road of suffering for us without wavering. We thank you that he kept on drawing strength from you, that he resisted the temptation to go the easy way, to avoid the cross. Uh, and so we thank you that he died on that cross for our salvation. And we thank you that you raised him in victory over death that he is now the king of kings. And we thank you that Jesus has opened the doorway of life for all who will follow him. And so, Father, we pray, please forgive us. Please forgive us when we have chosen our own path, when we have disobeyed you, when we have not trusted you. Please strengthen us to trust and obey you every day, to be able to cast our fears on you and receive your peace. Please keep softening our hearts to hear your word and to choose to follow Jesus down the narrow path every day of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.